Uh, I want to, at this time, uh, introduce to our congregation uh, the speaker for today. Uh, his name is Brian Gallagher, and he is currently a teaching elder at Calvary Chapel in Bucks County. Uh, he is joined today uh, with his wife, Jennifer, who is sitting in the front, and he has two kids, Samuel and Madeline, who are in uh, the Sunday school right now. Uh, his second child, Maddie, uh, she is actually adopted. She's an adopted foster child. So for those of you, you know, who've been thinking about adoption, I know that there are a number of you who've been praying about it. Um, you know, please speak to the Gallaghers after service. Uh, I'm sure they'll encourage you and give you more information uh, on that. Uh, but more importantly, uh, Brian Gallagher is my next door neighbor. <laughs> Uh, the Lord says, love your neighbors, and uh, the Gallaghers are someone that, that I love. And uh, Brian, he's here to uh, share God's word with us, uh, but he's also here to share how the Lord has rescued him and how he has redeemed him with a strong hand by his son Jesus. And so let's welcome Brian Gallagher up to the front. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for this privilege to, um, to be come before you this morning. It's, um, it's always a privilege to, to open God's word and to worship him um, with fellow believers. So again, on behalf of my wife and my kids, I say thank you. Um, a little bit of business. I'm suffering through a bit of a cold, so I apologize in advance for any interference that may cause. But uh, so with that, you know, as... Pastor Stephen said, uh, we are next door neighbors. Uh, about a year ago, the Joes moved in uh, to a house, the house right next door to ours, and, um, and it was encouraging to, to us. As first time Stephen and I interacted, it was clear that um, we had a kindred spirit, and it wasn't too long to discover that kindred spirit was Jesus Christ. Um, so that was the total blessing on, on, on for our family, and, and uh, we do love the Joes. And, uh, if you haven't met Brooklyn yet, man, that kid is cute. Have you ever, if you got to meet that kid, he's so cute. Um, so, again, I say thank you. Uh, as Pastor Stephen said, I am a, a teaching elder uh, at Calvary Chapel. I'm also a ruling elder. That's just the structure of our, of our congregation. Um, and I'd spent four years there as, as a pastor. Uh, and uh, I transitioned out of that role some, about a year ago, and uh, I'm now uh, a teaching elder there. And, you know... In a lot of ways, uh, life is full of choices. Life is made of choices. And um, I've made some bad choices in my life. Um, I've made some good choices, too. One of the best choices I ever made is here with me today, um, my wife, Jennifer. Um, that's the second best choice I ever made. The first best choice I made was entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But those bad choices I've made... God used, God can do that with us. He can use the bad choices we make and make something good out of it. God used my poor choices to draw me to himself. You know, <clears throat> the word addiction does not appear in the Bible. But the word sin does. See, to me, addiction is sin with very deep roots that grab hold of not only oneself, but of one's loved ones, one's relationships, and it affects everything in their life. This is what happened to me. I spent much of my life battling the sin of addiction. 
My path to entering into a relationship with Jesus involved the sin of addiction. I didn't become an addict instantly. A, a, a switch did not get flipped one day. And I woke up suddenly and said, my word, I'm an addict. Instead, it was a progression, a sin that was, it was paced over a lifetime. It was insidious. And it's relentless. Now, not to be controversial, but for me, and as I read the word, sin is not a, or addiction is not a disease. For me, it was a choice. I chose at one point. Now, I lived through it. And believe me, in the heat of it, in the height of it, in the depths of it, it felt like a disease, like I could not control it. But that first day, long, long time ago, I made a choice to put something into my body that didn't belong there. I began drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes at a very young age, probably about the age of my son, Samuel, who's 11. I was stealing it from my father, who was an alcoholic. I was stealing it, and he never knew it was missing, so it was easy to steal. <clears throat> Through high school and college, it got worse and worse, but I managed. I was able to, to keep it under control, as it were, at least I thought that. I managed to get through high school with good grades. I got through college, not so good grades, but I got through college. And we're talking about portraits of grace, and this is all about grace. I'm a walking example of God's grace, as you all are too. But <laughs> it's certainly only by God's grace that I managed to get through college. Um, it got worse and worse. I, I landed a job as a middle school teacher in public school. And I was good at my job. But now I shifted my sin to my weekends. From happy hour on Friday through Sunday evening, it was all debauchery. Uh, drugs had began to move their way into my life. It wasn't just alcohol and on the weekends, it was also drugs. But I managed to get myself cleaned up, put on a tie, and get to work every Monday for about 10 years. But in that 10th year, things began to fall apart pieces, things, the wheels began to fall off my life. My work, my relationships, my money all began to suffer. See, I went from <clears throat> abusing alcohol into abusing drugs. And excuse me if this is being a bit bold, but um, I, have to, I have to be transparent. I was in the grips of a crack cocaine addiction. It, was, it took me down. It ruined me. I lost everything, everything. My job, relationships, house, car, most importantly, self-respect. I could not look myself in the mirror. When I brushed my teeth, I'd be sh I was sure to open the medicine cabinet so I didn't have to look at my reflection as I brushed. I was completely broken. That's when I met a man named Jesus Christ. See, I'd been to, at that point, I'd been to, I don't know, five or six rehabs, in and out, but I kept falling back. It's when I was in that broken state, that state where I was, you know, there's a, there's a saying in recovery circles about, um, uh, about being in a pit and digging a hole. You know, well, I was at the bottom of my pit, and I was ready to stop digging. 
I, I wanted to be out of that pit. And Jesus used my bad choices to rebuild me. Today I'm blessed with ample things, ample material things. But more importantly, I'm blessed again with my wife Jennifer and my kids and wonderful relationships. The relationships I had with my family had been severed. They were, they were in tatters. But God restored those. See, I, I grew up uh, as a Roman Catholic. And uh, for much of my life as a young child, I went to church on Sunday. You know, I, I came and sat in the pew and, and listened to the liturgy, and, or most of the time didn't listen to the liturgy. And, and, and I never was encouraged to enter into a relationship with God. To me, God was, was some ethereal, spiritual thing up there in the clouds that when I did something wrong was ready to thunderclap me with a bolt of lightning. But that's not the God I know today. The God I know today is a loving father. And when I was broken, he said, son, come onto my lap. I want to know you. I want to make you whole again. So, as Joel records in the second chapter, the Lord has restored to me the years that the locusts have eaten. And I'm much blessed by it. The whole of the Bible points to Jesus Christ. This book is a perfect plan of redemption for the lost and fallen world in which we live. In this series, you've been working through portraits of grace in the Old Testament. You've been examining how the grace of God is so central to his redemptive plan for us. God showed me immense grace and mercy. In the passage we read this morning, we're looking at now, that passage runs parallel to the ways, in many ways, to my story, and perhaps to yours. And it is a portrait of grace. So if you'll indulge me, um, this is just how I learned to teach the word. So I'm going to reread some chunks, and then we're going to take a look at them. I'm reading from the New King James, so it's a little different than, than the English Standard. It's, it's pretty close, though. Again, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, in the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frog came up and covered the land of Egypt. So, you know that Exodus is a book of the land of Israel, the Hebrew nation, leaving the land of Egypt, being brought out of the land of Egypt. And I'm sure you know that the Egypt throughout Scripture is a picture of the world, a world system. So here are God's chosen people, enslaved by a world system. Moses, the central figure in Exodus, 
is called, is, he's born an Israelite. I'm sure you all know the stories. He was born an Israelite. He was raised as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's palace. But later on, Moses, as you remember, kills an Egyptian in his rage. And he flees to Midian, which, by the way, means a place of judgment. So he flees to a place of judgment. He marries Zipporah. He spends 40 years in this place of judgment. Then we, he encounters that burning bush that we all are so familiar with. And God gives him his instructions. But of course, you know Moses. He was, he was saying, I can't do that, Lord. I, that's, that's beyond me. I can't do that. You know? And God, God always calls people who feel that they're not equipped. God will equip you. If, if you are called, God will equip you. So Moses, as you know, goes to Pharaoh and, and more frustrations, Jews. You remember how Pharaoh says, oh, you want your people to go? Well, let me, let me increase their workload and, and decrease the supplies for the, for the bricks. Remember that? So then God gives Moses, Aaron, a person to speak for him and a close friend. But throughout this, Pharaoh's heart gets hardened. You, you, you remember the plagues. You know them. It, it, the first one is the water becomes blood. Then frogs is what we're looking at. Then there's lice, flies, diseased livestock, boils on all the people, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally, the death of the firstborn, which is Passover. Each has a rich application for our lives. But of course, the passage we're looking at this morning is the plague of the frogs. And in verse 1 there, God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh. See, God in his great mercy will continue to give Pharaoh chances to repent. And it's the same for us. He gives us chance after chance after chance. He's not the God of second chances. He's the God of infinite chances. If he was a God of second chances, I would have been done a long time ago. And I'm sure it's the same with you. He gives us chance after chance. He's so gracious. I will smite your territory with frogs. See, in Egypt, it's a kind of a land of contrast. The, much of the Egypt is dry desert. But yet, the Nile River region, particularly the Nile River Basin, is rich. It's abundantly rich and green and, and, and an area where much grows and much of Egypt depends on that Nile River basin. But you see, in Egyptian mythology, there's a goddess called Hecht or Hecate. And she's always pictured with a woman's body and a frog's head. She's the goddess of fertility, of water, of renewal, of creation, and of resurrection and this last one I don't understand. She's also the goddess of corn, but I'm not sure what that... But frogs were very common around the Nile. And frogs were needed. They're abundant. These amphibians were abundant. And they were needed. You see, because with a rich river basin comes numerous insects. And insects are not good for crops. So these frogs were necessary. But what happens is the people begin to worship the frogs. They begin to put the frogs on a higher level than they needed to be. And, and for our application here this morning, I'd like to look at the frogs as a picture of sin in our lives. And for me, it was the sin of addiction. But look, addiction, we, we, when we use the word addiction in our, in our, in our society, we tend to, to automatically think of substance abuse. And I, I agree, I do too. That's where my mind goes as well. But look, brothers and sisters, addiction takes many forms. 
it's, it's a worship disorder is what addiction is. It's a worship disorder. We, we, instead of worshiping the one true living God, we shift that worship to a thing. It becomes an idol. Now, for me, that thing became substances, alcohol and drugs. But perhaps that worship disorder is or was in your life something else. Perhaps it was a career. Perhaps it was uh, a house. Perhaps it was, I dare say, our children. So addiction, yes. If we're going to put a percentage on it, probably 85% of the time we're talking about substance abuse. But addiction takes many forms. So the frogs for this application are a picture of sin and addiction. See, because they seem nice at first, right? The frogs were doing a job there in the Nile River Basin. Doing a job so much so that they, the people recognized it. And they seemed practical. Like the frogs are good. They're eating the, the bugs. The bugs hurt our crops. So they're practical. Then they started to worship the frogs. They created a, a goddess, the frog head. It's a place of esteem. Then seemingly without warning, as we see in our passage, it overtakes all that we are. The frogs were in the house, the bedroom, the bed, the houses of the servants, Ovens, the kneading bowls. Picture it. I mean, picture it. We, we can read scripture sometimes and say, oh yeah, I know this story, and, and not really put ourselves in that position. These are not just figurative stories. This is history. This happened. This is what God did in the land of Egypt. We can, we can make application to our lives through this story, but this happened. These frogs were in people's ovens. Open the, the, the cabinet in your, in your house, frogs fell out. You went to get in bed at night, frogs were in your bed. They were everywhere. Picture it. Later on, it says, after they died off, it stank. I'm sure it stank. You couldn't go anywhere without frogs. I don't think frogs smell too good even when they're alive. So I'm sure it wasn't a pleasant smell even then. So they were everywhere. And that's what happens with sin. The insidiousness of it. It gets everywhere. An addiction takes over every corner of our lives. It even goes into the houses of our servants. I think that speaks to the fact that it affects the sin we choose to engage in affects the people that we have relationships with. Our family, our spouses, our friends, our employers. See, God's nature, I mean... It, perhaps it's, it's a bit of a sense of humor on God's part. I don't know. Or, or perhaps it's, it's more of a, a fact that in, in God's nature, he allows us to choose, right? We have that free will to choose. But it's almost as if in this situation, God looked at the Egyptians and he said, you, you, you want frogs? I'll give you frogs. You want to worship a frog? I'll give you frogs. And they were in the beds, in the kneading bowls. They were everywhere. Verse 7 says, The magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs in the land of Egypt. Now, I think what the, the magicians here, this is a, a real occult entity here that the Egyptians were, were uh, accessing. And, and I think it's a reminder for us all that we're not just battling frogs. We're not just battling sin at times in our lives. But we battle an enemy who seeks to destroy us. What these magicians were doing was real. It wasn't smoke and mirrors. 
But it's interesting, though. Look what they did. Pharaoh basically says, to the, he kind of leans into them and says, help me out with this. And through their magic, what did they do? They made more frogs. You know, Pharaoh was probably like, thanks a lot. That was very helpful, you know. But um, they only made things worse. And, and, and it gave Pharaoh even more reason to harden his heart. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. And get them, yes, please ask God to get these frogs out of my kitchen, out of my bed, and put them back in the river. That's what Pharaoh is asking. And interesting, verse 10 says this. So he, Pharaoh, said, because Moses said to him, when do you want to go? Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord. Tomorrow. Moses, when do you want uh, me to take the frogs away? Moses says, Pharaoh says, tomorrow. The frogs, they're covering Egypt. It's a problem for Pharaoh. But nothing he couldn't live with for one more day. Think about that. One more night with the frogs is what Pharaoh is asking for. It, I, maybe it's just me. But if I had frogs in my bed and in my kitchen and somebody said, I can take care of them for you, I would not say, okay, do it tomorrow. I'd say, do it now. I want these things out of my life. These statistics are a little dated, but I would, I would suspect that they're even higher at this point. But it's estimated that there are 25 million alcoholics in the United States, 23 million drug addicts. And with the opioid epidemic that we're experiencing right now, I suspect that high, those numbers are higher. Over six, this is heartbreaking, over six million children in this country live with at least one parent who's addicted to drugs. Since 1980, now that's a while back, but since 1980, deaths by drug overdose have increased 540%. Since 1990, illegal prescription drug abuse up 500%. No one said upon taking the first pill, the first hit, opening the first beer, putting something up their nose for the first time, using a syringe in their arm for the first time. I'm going to become one of the 25 million Americans whose life is completely dominated by a substance. No, every one of us said, I've got this under control. I got this. I know what I'm doing. Look, when we say the same thing concerning anything from a questionable relationship, maybe it's a hot temper, telling white lies, looking at inappropriate things on the internet, shady business deals, sneaking away to play the slots or the scratch-offs, until we wake up one day and we find our houses, our ovens, our beds, our kneading bowls are filled with this sin. We suddenly realize that we thought, what we thought we had under control has hopped out of the river 
and I have to use the pun here, the river is denial. <laughs> and it's now controlling us. See, Pharaoh realizes that the frogs that he encouraged his people to worship, that they depended on to keep the insect population down, were out of control. He says, Moses, they got to go. They got to go. Okay, Moses says, when? Tomorrow might be good, is the response. Why did he want more time with the frogs? See, there are activities, people, places in our lives about which the Lord says, you thought you had that under control, but now it's taking you over. And we say, you're probably right. It is. What I do on my computer at night is out of control. The way I spend money is out of control. The way I seek comfort and food is out of control. The way I disappear for days at the casinos is out of control. The way I treat my loved ones is out of control. Lord, the way I'm choosing to live is out of control. Okay, says God. When would you like to be set free? And many of us say, tomorrow. See, we want to spend one more night with our sin. Then Moses said to Aaron, verse 12, out from Pharaoh. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields, and gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Just like Pharaoh, we often say, tomorrow. I'll deal with that sin issue tomorrow. And our heart, like Pharaoh, hardens more and more with each tomorrow that we promise. Our heart gets hardened more and more towards that sin. You know, that, that, that small sin in our life can become like a callus. If you use your hands a lot out working, you get that callus, and it, it can be effective if you're working with your hands all the time. But when it turns, comes to the callus on the sin in our life, that's not good. We want to pull that callus back. We want, God, we want God to have exposure to that sin so he can remove it from us. Pharaoh would have gotten off a lot easier if he had said, okay, I repent, I'm sorry. I don't want these frogs in my life at all. Moses, take your people and go. He would have spared himself, his family, and his country, an unbelievable horror that awaited them. You know, in Psalm 95, also repeated again by the writer of Hebrews, Scripture says, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Harden not your hearts. Because although there is pleasure in sin for a season, the end result is always destruction. So brothers and sisters, please don't spend one more day, one more minute with whatever sin is besetting you. Repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. And the behaviors will change. The changed behaviors will follow. God will set you free from the sin that plagues your life. Because he is full of grace, he will take away your frogs. He will break the chains. You'll be freed by grace. Let's take a minute to personally reflect on what God has spoken to us here this morning in prayer.